a Christian without having it all sorted out? If I can, why should I try to sort it out? Is it even possible to believe the same thing? Isn't all the doctrine just man's opinions? You've heard these questions. You might have even thought of them yourself. We're going to talk about it today on Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, recovering the joy of theology, setting our imaginations on fire with the clear Word of God. And I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. I'm going to take the baton from Pastor Jonathan Fisk. I'm going to carry the conversation here for a while, at least for the next few months. And we're going to talk about the theology, the joy and the peace and the comfort that comes from hearing God's Word and rejoicing in it. We take up the question today, does doctrine really matter? Or maybe better, is just a little false doctrine all right? To help me with the conversation, I've got on the line Pastor Micah Glenn, who's the executive director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri. Pastor Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be on and to talk about these important matters uh, with uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a thing called doctrinal indifferentism. That's an old phrase. In fact, I think I came across it first uh, a number of years ago. I picked up at the seminary library when I was still at the seminary. Uh, I picked up a, a bound collection of old Lutheran witnesses, like a hundred years old. They were from like 1905 or 1918 or something. Old, old Lutheran witnesses. And I was reading some of the editorials in there, and I came across this phrase uh, doctrinal indifferentism. We live in an age of doctrinal indifferentism. How, how would you, how would you explain that and describe doctrinal indifferentism? And how do you see it, Pastor Glenn? Yeah, uh, you know, and I come across this quite often because you know, uh, as a missionary in my community, it requires me to uh, a certain level of ecumenical uh, cooperation. But this always comes into play. So I, I would say this. Uh, where things are, are clear and, and should be practiced by the church, I would I would be practicing doctrinal indifferentism if I pretended those things, those differences between denominations didn't matter. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It, it's we would I mean indifferentism. That's kind of an old way of talking about it. I, I kind of like the word because when you can use words like that, it, you know, gives some some juice to the gives some so, uh, some put some meat on the bone, some flesh to it. But I would. I think I see it, too, and just the idea that everything is a matter of opinion. Whenever you start to talk uh, to people about theology and about differences in the different doctrines or whatever, they just say, oh, well, that's just your opinion, or that's man's opinion. Right. We talk about baptism. Oh, that's just your opinion. We talk about the Lord's... So we talk about anything. Oh, that's just your opinion. And, and, and we reduce all theological conclusions down to opinion. And, and if it's all opinion, then how can you say one opinion is better than another opinion? That's right. Ah, so, so here we're going to take up the question, and I'm going to. I suggest that we can answer it. We can answer this question pretty clearly with four reasons. So the question is: Does just a little false doctrine matter? And the answer is yes, it matters. And the four answers that we're going to have is: Number one, the Bible does not authorize us to deviate from its teaching. So we're not. So the Bible doesn't say, "Hey, you can have a little false doctrine." Number two. The Bible calls any deviation from its own teaching an offense. Number three, if we start to pick and choose what parts of the Bible we like, then we're demolishing the authority of the Scriptures altogether. And then, number four, that, that a little bit of false doctrine spreads. It doesn't stay contained. 
but it spreads out like a virus. So I'd like to structure our kind of thinking about this question, does a little false doctrine matter, around these four poles. So point one is it matters because the scriptures don't give us the authority to teach something different. What do you think about that? Boy, I, I, something that I, you know, I'm preaching on the, if you, if you follow the three-year lectionary text, I was preaching on the first Corinthians text, talking that kind of just opposes wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. Uh, and it's, it's really easy uh, for us to read God's Word um, and kind of try to read between the lines, so to speak. It's where we, we see something and we think it doesn't quite fit, and so we try to sneak in our own uh, rationalized idea of, of a twist on the text that might make it uh, more user-friendly, but only user-friendly in the, in the experience of me wanting to use it. You know what I mean? Yeah, what's an example of that? Uh, you know, as I was saying that, I was trying to come up with one, but uh, I'll, I'll try to, without being too specific on any one person, I'll use a different example. I was talking to Jehovah's Witnesses about two months ago, uh, which, of course, if you want to call them a Christian church, probably not, uh, mostly because they don't, you know, subscribe to the divinity of Jesus. Uh, but that was that was something they were saying. I was talking about we were talking about the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. And um, you know, I was I was saying let's look straight at the text. Let's look at First John where it says, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God." And we were trying to have this conversation about the person of Jesus Christ. And and these uh, two Jehovah's Witness people, they were saying, you know, to understand who Jesus is, you can't simply look at the text of the Bible. Uh, to understand that he was adopted at his baptism, you have to look at the event, you have to put it through your reason, and that's the kind of reading between the lines that I'm talking about. Yeah, that's right. So we don't like what the Bible says, so we want to make it say something different. That especially is going to be around this third poll uh, that we're talking about, is that when we start to pick and choose the Scripture, if I say, I like this passage, but I don't like this passage, then I'm using my opinion, or I'm using my reason, or I'm using my own thoughts to determine what's going to be God's Word for me. And as soon as I do that, I'm not standing below the Scriptures, but I'm standing above the Scriptures. The Bible itself yeah. ceases to be the authority, and I'm now the authority. My own ex experience and my own reason is the authority, right? Yeah, that, exactly. I mean, and we do this time and time again, uh, especially highlighting this uh, this verse that Keeper uh, uses at the end of this particular uh setting where he says, teaching them to observe all things whatever, whatsoever I commanded you. And of course, this is coming from the Great Commission. And so, you know, that observation of what Jesus tells us to do as a Christian is actually relatively difficult to normalize. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing, one thing that people always, I hear people sometimes say, is, you know, becoming a Christian is, is easy, or being a Christian is easy. And in fact, it's it's, it's the opposite. It's pretty difficult to be a Christian, especially in a world where uh, sin, evil, and licentiousness is really at your fingertips, especially with technology and things like this. Uh, and so we can we can tweak, and we can uh, we can authoritize the Word of God to say what we want. So we can say, well, this really isn't um, adultery. This part of it, or or this and that. This isn't murder. This isn't an evil thought. And we said our, like you said, we set ourselves as that authority over over the text, which then begins to blur uh, 
not only what Jesus commanded us, but what it means yeah. universally. But- Pastor Glenn, you reminded me that uh, if people are listening out there and you want to get a hold of us, you can send us a tweet at, at B. Wolfmuller is my Twitter name thing. Uh, so stop sinning with the Twitter and start tweeting to us. That would be, I think, Pastor uh, Glenn's advice there. Or you can send it to at KFUO Radio, uh, and we can answer the questions there. Talking about the question, does just a little bit of false doctrine matter? And Pastor Glenn quoted this great, the last words of Jesus, really, from Matthew, Matthew 28, where Jesus says, uh, teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. Jesus doesn't say teach them to observe some of the things I've commanded you, or Jesus doesn't say uh, decide which things that I commanded you that you like or that you think are important and teach those things and let everything else go to the side. No, every single word of God is given to us for our life, uh, for our joy, for our peace, for our instruction, for training up in righteousness. That The Lord just doesn't accidentally speak things. He doesn't give us the option to take this and and reject that. Uh, and to do that is to go against what he said. So this is this is fantastic. A little false doctrine matters, first of all, because Jesus didn't say that hold fast and teach to the important stuff and let go of the little stuff. He wants us to treat every single one of his words as an important word, as a, as a word to cling to. Jesus says uh, in another place, the one who keeps my word to treasures my word has life. That's that That's how important the doctrine is, the teaching is. Uh, so that's fantastic. Anything more on this first thing, the first idea on false doctrine, why a little bit of false doctrine does matter, because Jesus hasn't authorized us to determine what doctrines we can teach and what doctrines we can let go. Any any other thoughts on that, Pastor Glenn? You, you know, not really. I, I think Pieper keeps this, this first topic, this first heading really short because, you know, he just wants to be pointed, and it's just this reminder that, and you know, that that subscription that we all take that, Scripture alone, Old New Testament, that alone is the rule and norm for all faith. Anything that we talk about has to run through the lens of the Word of God before you start having any kind of doctrine. Anything outside of that, uh, you, you begin to, again, set the, the authority is lost. And so uh, once we set the tone, the Word of God is going to be authority for all doctrine. Now we can begin to have an honest conversation of what we're teaching. Now I want to I want to throw something else in here because it seems to me that at this point one of the tricks that the devil uses one of the ways that the devil gets after us is he takes the people who are kind of unflinching on doctrine who are sturdy on do- who t- who teach something and they don't uh they don't budge they say hey we know God's word and we know what it says we know that this is true and the devil comes in and he tries to make that unwavering confidence in doctrine seem like pride and he tries to make the other idea this doctrinal indifferentism this idea that all all the doctrines aren't that important he tries to make that look like humility and that this is a particular lie of the devil because if i say well i can't be sure that i'm right about that that looks like humility but it's really the ultimate pride disguised as humility because if i come along and i say I can't re- be really sure of that doctrine. It's not myself that I'm doubting, but it's God's Word that I'm doubting. And when I come in there and I say, hey, I know that this is to be true, that that might look like pride, but in fact, it's true humility because it's saying, hey, I didn't come up with this or I didn't sort it out. I read God's Word that said this with great clarity, and I simply agreed with it. I stand under the, uh, in humility under the authority of God's Word, and I and I teach it with its clarity. So that so that a, a sureness of doctrine, a rejection of doctrinal indifference, 
indifferentism is in fact it's not prideful but in fact it is the humility of the christian standing under the authority of god's word any thoughts on that oh i mean i think you you said that quite beautifully uh you're absolutely right and again um in a situation where you're long married not 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 of course i have my partner congregations plus the body of christ standing alongside me but you're absolutely right uh you know people will say like if you're firm and you're unwavering and you're confident in what you believe they will mistake that for uh false confidence in, in yourself rather than saying no i'm confident in the one who has given me this word it's giving me the faith to understand this word, to use it, to keep it safe near and near my heart and my mind, and to use it then um, to articulate clearly, clearly who he is and really what he's done for you. Um, you know, all of our doctrine, especially within the LCMS world and Lutheranism in general, is is really about how God works in your life to your goodness and to your salvation um and and that's you know that's such a critical thing that i think we can get wrapped up in this conversation of who's right and who's wrong and we lose sight of actually of of what's the important part and again like you said that's that's really the trick of the devil to to get brothers and sisters in christ to argue amongst each other right that's right if it was a matter of opinion and I say, hey, my opinion is better than your opinion, that would be arrogant. But if it's actually a matter of God's Word, then to say, hey, here's what the Word teaches, and it doesn't matter if I like it or not. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. It doesn't matter. What matters is what God says. That is the true humility. That's the, what we could say like this, that's the humility of being right. I mean, it sounds so crazy. It sounds so countercultural, but this is what we have, the humility of letting the Lord determine what's true and good and beautiful. And if, what, and if it doesn't seem right or true to us, then we say, well, what of it? What of, my, you know, what of my own opinions? What of my own thoughts and ideas about this? Say I don't like it. It doesn't matter if God says it. That settles it. It's true. And we, and we have to conform ourselves to the Lord's word uh, and, not to, and not to our own thoughts. Well, let's, let's move on to the second point. Uh, real quick, we'll introduce it, and then we're going to take, have to take a soft break here in just a minute. But, uh, but the second point is that uh, the Bible says that every departure from God's Word is, um, uh, is a scandal. Here's the text, Romans 16, 17, uh, where Paul gives this warning. He says, Mark those which cause divisions and offenses, scandalon, contrary to the doctrine that you have learned. So the Bible calls every departure from God's Word, every other teaching, a scandal. What's a scandal? What's a stumbling block there, and what does it matter? Well, um, you know, thinking about this scandal, on this scandal, this stumbling block, it's something that, uh, again, just because it's fresh in my brain, jumping back, you know, talking about the, the cross, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ being a stumbling block to the Jews, as in their expectations for a Savior uh, were one thing, and they got another thing, and in their faith, it, it caused them to stumble, because now, and, and stumble really in a hard way, because the path that they thought was right, uh, they, they kind of step over the cross and, and continue on their path, and they, they missed the way. They, they missed the point. And it's something that disrupts uh, the foundation of your faith, 
that's kind of how I try to generally explain it. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, these stumbling blocks, you know. This, it's a stone that comes up out in the sidewalk, and you have these stones, and one comes up, and now you're trying to walk along. You're trying to you're trying to go from one place to another, and and all of a sudden, blam! You trip over it. You you stub your toe, which is like the worst. I mean, that's the worst thing in the world. It might not. It's not going to kill you. Uh, but but boy oh boy it it's gonna hurt and and when the when the scriptures call false doctrine a stumbling block this is the the thing that they're indicating is that look you you put something in the way of someone else you're 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 blocking the path that the Lord has put them on you're causing them to stub their toe it might not kill them but if you stub your toe enough you're gonna trip and you're gonna fall. And that's what the devil is always trying to do with false doctrine. This is, this is Pastor Brian Wolf. The other, I've got Pastor uh, Micah Glenn, who's the executive director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, uh, Missouri. And we are talking about, does a little bit of false doctrine matter? Can't we just have a little bit? I mean, just a little bit of false doctrine, just like a little bit of dessert. Don't Won't it be all right? Won't it uh, not uh, destroy us eventually? We're asking and we're answering that question. We're using Dr. Francis Pieper. Uh, to to help us on the way and to give us the outline. And we'd love to hear from you. You can send us a tweet at B. Wolfmuller. That's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R on the Twitter or KFUO Radio. You can send a note there. And we'll be back. We'll talk some more about the stumbling block of false doctrine. And then we're going to talk about pick-and-choose doctrine, pick-and-choose theology. Can we just decide what verses of the Bible we like best and leave the others? Answer? Well, the answer again there is no. So thanks for joining us. Uh, stay tuned through this break and the announcements we have coming up. And uh, and we'll be right back with you in just a couple of minutes. Listen to AM 850 KFUO and KFUO.org each Wednesday in Lent for live Lenten worship services at 11 a.m. from Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis. Join KFUO, Senior Pastor Dennis Kasten, and the members of Peace for these special Lenten worship services. Again, that's each Wednesday morning at 11 during Lent on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog and new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. 
I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Every day, things happen that affect the lives of Lutherans worldwide. Whether it's mercy efforts to a disaster-stricken community, threats to religious liberty, or cultural trends. World Lutheran News Digest takes an in-depth look at one issue each week as I interview newsmakers and experts. All Sarah Golseth presents a quick look at the week's news. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. Cross-fencing, cross-defencing, defensing with the cross. We're talking about, does a little bit of false doctrine matter? I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church, and I'm joined by Pastor Micah Glenn, the Executive Director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, fantastic stuff so far. Uh, this is um, well, this is a great conversation, because, because we hear so often that the opinions, uh, that doctrine is just a matter of opinion. Uh, that the the distinctions that we make, the fight, the differences between the different churches. You know, the the Methodists are different than the Episcopalians, which are different than the Pentecostals, which are different than the Catholics. But that's just man's opinion. They all have the same truth, just different opinions. Well, no, no, it is the Scripture that matters, the Scripture that determines what's true. And we want to have the humility of being right, the humility of submitting ourselves to the authority of what God says and saying, all right, all right, Lord, if you want to say it, uh, that's good enough for me. We're talking about the four reasons why false doctrine matters. Number one, that God does not authorize us to not care about doctrine. Jesus says, teach everything that I commanded you. Okay, very good. Part two, the Bible calls all deviations from God's word to be scandalous. And we started talking about that, uh, Pastor Glenn, about what a scandal is, about how the cross is a scandal to the Jews, a stumbling block, and stands in their way. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Why, why does Jesus specifically call the cross a scandal uh, there? You know, it's it's interesting. During the break, I, I was thinking about how you know you were you just were talking about like a stumbling block, necessarily kill you per se, but it, but it'll cause you some pain for sure. And, you know, just trying to put it into some practical terms, me and my wife just were blessed enough to be able to buy a bed, and we upgraded from a queen size bed to a king size bed. Hey, now, that course, is, that I, I want to wait. You got to stop there because I think this is important for all those engaged couples that are getting ready to get married. <laughs> And you think to yourself, do we? We're going to get a, you know, we're going to move into a house, and we're going to get a bed, and you're, a queen is probably good enough. And so, but no, this is like the best pre-marriage advice that I wish someone would have told me is get a king-size bed because after a while, there's all these babies in there and dogs and everything. Oh. It is the it, oh, whenever we go somewhere and get the king size, that's just a little practical aside. We don't want to bind people's consciences to that, but. That is great. Sorry. I'm just sharing in your joy there. Keep going. No, no, absolutely. I mean, you're spot on with that. You know, that that was the main reason. We have three little ones, and so when they all get in the bed with us, and on the queen-size bed, you know, I'm 6'1", 240 pounds, and so there's just enough room for me and my wife. Anyway. That's some high-density uh, muscle there, Pastor. I try, man. I, I think <laughs> taking care of yourself is, is pretty good. <laughs> and so, but it, it's changed the dimensions of our room, and and. We got a sleigh to go with it, and I'm now, right now, we've had it for uh, just around a week, and I keep slamming my pinky toe, my left pinky toe, as I come out of our bathroom on, on the footboard. And it, I, here's this blessing that I, you know, that we've been able to upgrade to this big bed. It's not hurting, but I know the bed is good. It's, it's, it's right for us. 
But on the one hand, slamming my toe against it time and time again, it, it causes me to resent it a little bit. <laughs> That's, that, there's a nerve, by the way, connected from the pinky toe to whatever part of the brain that tells you not to swear. <laughs> and, and it's the worst. Ah, for like 30 minutes. <laughs> But that's, that's kind of the way the cross and the teaching of Jesus works. You know, every time in my daily personal devotion, I, I, inevitably I come across something, uh, part of the Word of God, uh, that is meant to be for my benefit because I'm a sinner and because of um, personal experience and things like that, it causes me to stumble a little bit. You know, like we were talking about in this first section, I, I try to put my own twist on it. And then eventually the theologian in me works and says, no, you're wrong. Um, let the Word of God speak to you the way it's speaking to you. But that, that's what happens with doctrine so often, is we come across uh, something for our benefit, something like the cross that's made for our salvation. It causes us to stumble, and in our stumbling, uh, the pain eventually causes this resentment. And it's that, it's that resentment that eventually will make you take this gift, and to you know, try to throw it away, essentially. There is this 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 dissonance between the between the Jewish expectation of the Messiah and the reality of Jesus, and we see this at play all through the Gospels. Even with the disciples, they wanted this King to come, throw off the Roman uh, yoke, you know, to Jesus to take up his to take up arms. To, to sit on the throne of David, to rule from Jerusalem, to have, this, to have this kingdom of power and authority. And instead, Jesus says, it is necessary for the Son of Man to be rejected, to be flogged, to be crucified on the third day to rise again. And this, this dissonance between Jesus and the, and the Jewish expectation of the Messiah and the reality of the Messiah causes this great stumbling. We, this is not the kind of Messiah we want. This is not the kind of Messiah that we were expecting, and it's and it's a stubbing of the toe. Now, now to take that to us, we have to say that we have to admit that our sinful flesh comes to the Scripture with all sorts of expectations. I expect God to be this way. I expect God to be that way. I expect God to do this for me to give to serve me in this way. And the Lord has different ideas. I mean. If we pause to think about it a little bit, I, I don't think we're so surprised that the Lord has different ideas about how it is for us, how he should give us gifts, what he should do to serve us. The Lord has different ideas about it, but we, you know, we don't, um, uh, we, we're not uh, so interested in his ideas of serving us. We want him to serve us, like Peter, who says, Lord, if you're going to wash my feet, wash my whole body. Hey, I'll tell you how to serve me. This is what I need, and so forth. And so when Jesus comes to us and he doesn't meet our expectations, when he says something different, now it causes us to stumble. The point of this is that we want, we want to get our expectations from the Scripture. If we want to know how God is going to be towards us, we look to how he says he's going to be towards us. And what we see in the Scriptures is, is that he brings us law and the gospel so that, so that we're not stumbling over these confused expectations. Uh, what do you think, Pastor? Are you ready for the next section here? Uh, part three, the third reason why a little false doctrine matters is because there's a danger in the pick-and-choose idea. Uh, this has to do with the, how all doctrine holds together. And if we start to pick and choose what part of the doctrines that we want, then we're saying that we're not holding the uh, the Scriptures as our own authority, but we're holding our own reason, our own expectations, our own experiences, our own emotions, our own thoughts, or whatever, 
above the scriptures, and we're using it to pick and choose. Uh, get us started on this one. Yeah, I, I think this part of the section, I think most people... Uh, when they err, when it comes to like what the Word of God actually says, is where most people fall. And I think, especially recently, and what in the conversations that I've had, I've talked to people, they they reduce God simply to His blood, right? And they they bring up John three sixteen or another one of John's epistles, and they say God is love, and they pretend like that's all God is love. And that's not to say that God lives in abundant, it overflows, uh, He gives it to us when we don't deserve it, and, and it's the cause for so many of the blessings we have in life. But God isn't just love, He's also just, right? Uh, and and so, and we use this this God is love thing, and we pick and choose those verses to, to show that God wants me to be happy. <laughs> typically is is what people will use it for. So if if living this kind of lifestyle makes me happy, God in his love wants this for me. And even though if you can go to scripture in his word where he openly and blatantly speaks against what I'm choosing, uh he's still love and he wants me to have this. I that's you said two fantastic things there. Uh, and that I want to kind of pick apart a little bit because one, you said that we so we have a tendency to have a reductionistic theology. So we say, what's the what's the, you know, what's a small thing that I can get a hold of, and I'm going to make that my whole theology. So God is love theology, or I just have to believe theology, or whatever. And then we say whatever's outside of my little reduced bucket, which I my kind of my freeze dried Bible. It's like I I take my Bible and I put it in the dehydrator, and then I pulled out. You know, just a little, uh, it's kind of munchy, dried banana sort of Bible, and I'm just going to have this little thing. And uh, and we all have this tendency to sort of be theologically reductionistic. But then the second thing that you said on that is that our reduction, our reductionism, is going to tend towards really what our worldview is. So that if I have like an Epicurean worldview that says that the main thing is me not suffering or the main thing is me being happy, then I'm going to find all those Bible verses that that fit with that worldview, and I'm going to throw everything else out. So that so that those two things go together. I, I take my I take my sort of preconceived theological idea, and then I'm going to I just make it a bucket, and then I'm going to reduce God down to that bucket. And I hear that same thing that you hear all the time. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? As if that's what the, you open the Bible and it says, and God says, I am your God and I want you to be happy. The end. You do the best you can. I mean, it's, it's such an absurd idea of theology. And I think the way that we have to answer that question is, does God want me to be happy is probably not. <laughs> I mean, because look, you're not happy. Or, and that's, I mean, again, God's will is done. God never promises us happiness, at least not in this life, he doesn't. But he has given us commands, like, you shall not get, commit adultery. Doesn't, Pastor, doesn't God want me to be happy? Well, I don't know if he wants you to be happy or not, but I know that he wants you to be married because he said, I marry you to your wife and don't commit adultery. I know that's what God's will is. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Well, I don't know if he wants you to be happy, but I know he doesn't want you to cheat and steal to get more money because he says you shall not steal. And the will of God is revealed in his word and the commandments, not in our own sort of emotional fulfillment. 
Well, you know, and that idea of happiness is such a fleeting and subjective concept because, you know, we're, we're, things that we're, we're told that things make you happy. And, and we're told this, there will be an article that says, uh, if you make a, a million dollars, it's the max utility for happiness. If you make more than a million dollars, then the money doesn't add on to your happiness. But if you make less than, say, $24,000, like most of the people in my community, then you probably aren't happy. But this is, but that's, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, we, we treat happiness as such an object. And I think that's really the issue uh, because you can find happiness in the Christian life. Uh, because of the freedom and the joy that it brings. It's just a matter of uh, allowing your, you know, we say worldview too often, uh, but at least your mindset to be shaped uh, but what, by what God has given us in His, in his life, through His Word, and, and most importantly, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so you're absolutely right. Yeah, we, we want to define happiness. The reason why we, it, I think this happens is because we want to define happiness on our own terms rather than accepting what happiness looks like in the truth that God has given. Yeah, that's right. I, I like to identify this as, as Epicureanism uh, just because it gives a name to it. And it's the old name. Yeah. I mean, it was invented by the guy, Epicurus, how it got its name. And he said that the goal of life was to minimize suffering, to maximize pleasure. He wasn't a hedonist. He wasn't, you know, he he was kind of out in the woods living an ascetic life. So he wasn't going to, to orgies and drunken parties and all this sort of stuff. But it doesn't take long for Epicureanism to become that sort of hedonism and chasing after all sorts of pleasure. And and Epicureanism, um, while it went underground for a number of centuries, especially in the Christian West, it is now it's coming back up, and it's so helpful to be able to identify it when we use happiness as the way to determine what's true. If we, when we use a lack of pleasure or lack of pain as our measure of the highest good, then we can recognize, hey, I'm an, I'm an Epicurean. And when you bring that to the Scriptures, look what happens. If I find a Bible passage that, that, that starts to stand in the way of my happiness, then I throw it out. If I find a Bible passage that takes away some of my maximized pleasure, then I've got to do away with it. And if I find those verses that seemingly help me on the way, then I'm going to extol those. But this is not this is not reading the Bible. This is not having a theology. This is an idolatry. It's crafting God after our own image. And we see it everywhere, right, Pastor? Oh, yeah. Well, and then to take it a step further, and, you know, again, understanding why um, denominational lines are, are so important, especially when it comes to the task of preaching and teaching. Um, you know, I did my vicarage in, in the Bible Belt, uh, where Lutheranism isn't, I mean, the most popular denomination uh, by far. And, and I was, you know, dealing with a couple Lutheran brothers, and not dealing with, but at least having conversations anyway, that, that would look to Baptist preachers. And they liked the Baptist preachers because they preferred their take on uh, the, the study of last things, eschatology, as a, especially the view of the Book of Revelation, as opposed to a Lutheran view of these things. And they would, and I would say, well, you know, if you if you listen to these guys and you listen to them day in and day out, as opposed to Lutheran teachers, eventually, uh, the things that they're teaching are going to affect real, real serious matters, and going to be at ends. The Lutheran confessions, and they're like, "Oh no, you know, this is all I listen to them for." But when then once they start talking about baptism or the Lord's Supper or something like that, I cut them off. But 
uh, you know, later in conversations, you know, their understanding of the Lord's Supper was skewed. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Not, yeah. not only their understanding of the Lord's Supper, but, the, I mean, just their basic understanding of the Christian life, uh, salvation, and all of these matters, all of these matters of the Christian life. It's like, you know, now, you know, to be honest with you, you know, you don't you don't be mean, I guess, but it's like you're, you're not really a Lutheran anymore. Yes, yes. This uh, false, the teaching and false doctrine that spreads. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, that's right. And, and a little leaven ruins the whole And you, you start to hear, well, you know, these practices of or closed communion, what's the difference between the two? Why does it matter? Oh, is, is baptism actually efficacious for, or necessary for salvation? And what does it do? I mean, all the, you know, that's, that's really um, what it comes down to. Is, and, and, you know, why it's so important. A to know what you confess and what you believe, right? I mean, obviously there only won't only be Lutherans in heaven, but what we're talking about here is this teaching that's so important uh, will affect how you live out your faith in the world now, and and if you keep creating these self-imposed stumbling blocks uh, because you're you're deviating from what the Word of God says, eventually, you know. 20, 30 years down the road, your faith might be at risk. Luther says, The Holy Ghost, speaking in all words of Scripture, cannot be parceled and divided. He will not have men accept his word on one point and reject it on other points. You just can't do it. You can't say, this is what I want, and that's not what I want. If you reject it at one point, if you say, hey, I don't want this word of God over here, I don't want this to define what I think, what I do, what I believe, then we're throwing the whole scripture out because it's all the words of the Holy Spirit. This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I'm joined by Pastor Micah Glenn, Executive Director of the Lutheran Hope Center in Ferguson. I'm pastor of Hope Lutheran Church out here in Aurora, Colorado, and we are cross-defending. We are talking about the scripture. And we're answering this question. We're answering this question, does a little false doctrine matter? So far, uh, the answer is yes. And the more we dig into it, the more we see it does matter. We're going to go to the break. Stay with us for a couple minutes. We'll be back, and we're going to finish up with point three and talk about point four, how all doctrine holds together in Christ. Next, uh, stay tuned. More cross-defense coming up. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. Did you know a charitable gift annuity to KFUO provides you a lifetime of cash payments? Gift annuity pay rates are based on age, making this way of giving attractive to listeners 65 years or older. If you have questions or would like to have a personal illustration of a gift annuity, call Mary at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. It's no exaggeration that millions of people are using the YouVersion Bible app to make the Bible a part of their daily lives. 
People are engaging with the Bible on mobile devices in more than 1,635 versions of the Bible, representing 1,171 languages. In 2017, more people than ever read, listened, and shared the Bible on a variety of mobile devices. And in this past year, the Bible verse most shared, bookmarked, and highlighted worldwide was Joshua 1.9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As you engage with the Bible, you're engaging with a book with a remarkable history over the centuries that continues to have an impact today in the world. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Now, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. I got a bunch of stuff going on at www.wolfmuller.co if you want to take a look. I'm joined by Pastor Micah Glenn, who's the Executive Director of uh, Lutheran Hope Center over there in Ferguson. Anything you got going on that you want to highlight before we dig back into the conversation here about false doctrine? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so we're, we're kind of focusing on two things. Uh, I've been in this the space that I work in now since last july uh and so we're putting together a reading program for kids because um obviously rates are just really getting uh for you 80 percent of the kids in our community not proficient in english for a variety of reasons uh but my number one uh person that i see and and that i engage in the community or seeks my help and pastoral counseling are, are the single women the same um and so we're creating a, a ministry to walk alongside the the women and their children so we collect we're, we're in the process of collecting age-appropriate books but our, our the purpose for our program is simply to try to to be excited about reading and to enjoy reading so when when they go to school the educators if they love to read and they want to read and they if they want to glean the information they go to school and they'll be more ready to hear what their teacher has to say. Um, so, so we do collect books, used, gently new. Uh, and the idea is that uh, something I used to take for granted, you know, at home, and we have 100 books. My children have their own bookshelf in our library, and they can pick off a variety of books for us to read on a daily basis. But most of the children in our community uh, don't even have a Bible at home. Oh, man. And so we're collecting books so that when they come to our program, you know, we can start helping them. Uh, achieve that that's great how can people um how can people get a hold of you best and get the books to you and bibles to you support what you're doing yeah absolutely so we have a website uh the lutheran hope center.org uh our address is on there so if if you want to mail them to us you can uh, of course if you're in the st louis community uh in the greater st louis area we can uh, arrange a pickup uh but the address to our to where I work at the the Ferguson Community Empowerment Center is on our website. My email is on there as well as my office phone number. So uh, I, I think I'm fairly easy to get a hold of uh, through that channel, the LutheranHopeCenter.org. The LutheranHopeCenter.org. Just stop wherever you're driving in the middle of the freeway. Write it down. The LutheranHopeCenter.org. <laughs> That's a great uh, thing to support. Uh, we were talking about does does a little false doctrine matter? I think we've concluded that it does. We had the first point, is God does not authorize us to not care about doctrine. That's probably enough. But then there's three more points. The second point is that, God, that God's Word calls false doctrine or any deviation 
from his word a stumbling block. So we have to treat it as such. We can't just go on our way uh, ignoring that. The third thing that we're talking about here, which is really interesting, we ended with this Luther quote. And that is we can't just pick and choose. The Holy Spirit cannot be parceled and divided. i got a story that I want to run by you. Uh, I remember one time I was having lunch. It was my dad and Father Bert who had been removed from the Episcopalian Church. He was a Lutheran then. And we and I had my collar on. Father Bert had his collar on. And this guy came over, and he's talking to us. And he says, he says hey, what are you guys? And I said, I'm a Lutheran pastor. And Bert says, I'm a Lutheran layman. I used to be an uh, Episcopalian pastor. And the guy, Why'd you leave? And he told him the story, how he got kicked out for teaching that the Bible was inspired all the way by God and inerrant and everything. He says, oh, I'm probably one of the guys you wouldn't like. Uh, I'm a I'm a bishop of the Episcopalian Church, and I think he just told us as we we're having lunch. He says I think the Holy Spirit speaks through culture, and I said, "Is that right?" Yeah. And 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 I said, "Because I was just over in Africa, and over in Africa, uh, the, the culture there still says that marriage is a man and a woman. And why is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking a different thing through American culture than he is through African culture? And why are you listening to American culture rather than African culture? And he didn't say anything. And I said to him then, I said, I think you're racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that ended the conversation. He went back and sat down. You know, but this is, but this is the idea. You're going to pick and choose. Well, what are you going to pick and choose? Well, you're going to, if you're going to pick yeah. and choose, you're going to pick and choose the stuff that you like. And that's the problem, is that the Bible has to tear down our own idols. It has to tear down our own flesh. It has to tear down our pride. And if we start to pick and choose the parts that we like and that we don't like, we're just going to have the Bible crafted after our own image. We're going to have an idol instead of the true God who speaks to us with his clear word, huh? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The old Adam must be destroyed, especially on a daily basis through your baptism. Uh, and again, if you don't allow the Word of God to speak to you in such a way that the old Adam is destroyed, um, these dangerous errors occur. And, and I want to jump back into people real quick, because this is, I, I think, the highlight of what we've been talking about and the reason why. And Peeper says, the greatest difference that's in, when in doctrinal controversies, the erring Christian, confronted with the clear Word of Scripture, clings to the error, in spite of the clear Scripture and the power of the Holy Ghost, active in it and so as we're talking and we're talking about you know picking your favorite verses you if you don't read the word of god in its entirety and you cling to your uh god is love or whichever mode of god you want to be to be highlighted and most of part you, you not only miss who god is but you're missing and these errors are dangerous you know, when, when Arius, going back to Jehovah's Witness, because it's really disguised as a defame, when I was talking to Jehovah's Witness, I, I don't, just to go back to Arius real quick, I don't think he intended to become a heretic, uh, but he just wouldn't listen to what the Word of God was saying. And so when I'm talking to these Jehovah's Witnesses, I say, let's, let's just for a moment pretend like your translation of the Bible isn't the only ridiculous translation of the Bible that the word was a God. I mean, nobody translates it that way, but let's, let's pretend for a moment that it was. Throughout the, the scriptures, God is a monotheistic God, without exception. And, and there's, there's, there's no lesser gods. Time and time again, there are false gods, but in name only, not in reality. So the Baals, these aren't gods that God is conquering and fighting in some spiritual battle. They don't actually exist outside of false belief. 
And so it is a God reconciled monotheistic teaching of the Old Testament. And when I asked them that, they just refused to hear it. And, and that's the danger in all of this, of, of this Bible picking, is that when you're confronted with the truth, you'll refuse to listen to it. Yeah, that's that's a great point because I mean all of us I presume all of us probably have some sort of false idea, some sort of false doctrine just bouncing around that hasn't been corrected yet. Uh it's just we we learned it, we picked it up somewhere, we weren't paying attention or whatever, we got some false doctrine. And and uh like you this quote from Peeper is really important because it says look it's not necessarily the false doctrine that's dangerous. I mean it is, but there's a second temptation. And the second phase, the second fight, the second wave of the devil's assault is to get you to double down on your false doctrine when you're confronted with the truth. So that all of us probably have a false doctrine here or there, but the point is, are we, are we humble uh, to the authority of God's Word and willing to be corrected by God's Word when it comes to us? That is the key point. And if we have a false doctrine, okay, that's not good, but when, when someone comes and points it out to us and brings the clear word of Scripture about the divinity of Christ or about the forgiveness of sins in baptism or about the, the universality of the atonement or whatever, whatever doctrine that is coming to be corrected, and we, we uh, double down on our error and we cling to the error and we're unwilling to repent, that's when it really starts to corrupt the conscience and destroy the soul and bring poison and death uh, into the heart because we're doubling down on the false doctrine. The, the Bible passages that has to do with this is in Titus 3, where Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, A man that is a heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he is, such a, is subverted and sins being condemned by himself. So that when you, after hearing correction from God's word once and then twice, now you've hardened and doubled down on that, then you are to be rejected as a teacher in the church, maybe even as a Christian, because you've doubled down on your particular error. Yeah. Well, and then kind of going into the fourth section, if you don't mind me creeping over. Yeah, you, let's do it. Jump in. That, that doubling down then begins to infect everything else. So I, I work on the Salvation Army. On a social level, we're, we're fairly in line. We, we serve the poor, we serve the marginalized, and we want to help them get on their feet and become self-sufficient in society, good things together. But as we were working together, one day the, the major, who is a woman pastor, asked me about church planning together, to which I naturally said that would never happen, clearly, because of the divisions between denominations. But she was confused by it, but then it, it became clear later. First and foremost, again, talking about women pastors, uh, you know, that's a slippery slope that allows other false doctrine in, because now you're going against the doctrine of the Word of God that says, you know, a pastor, an overseer, an elder should be a man, right? Uh, in particular, a man of one wife. It, it, or one wife at a time, I guess, if that's how you want to say Anyway, different topic. But then we started talking about baptism, and this is, so first of all, I didn't know the Salvation Army was a church until I, until I started working with them. But in the Salvation Army, they don't baptize at all. And, and when she told me this, I was so confused. And, you know, I started bringing up all of the verses, including Jesus saying, those who believe and are baptized will be saved, that this baptism works towards your salvation. And she cut me off and simply said, there's a thing you can say that will change my mind. It's like, but I'm not saying this. <laughs> and so it's not just can you be baptized can you not be baptized and be saved again was the thief on the cross baptized who really knows uh, 
But it's the rejection of baptism, which is the dangerous part. That's the part that she doesn't understand she's falling into. Yeah, that's no, you're, you're exactly right about it. And I think that our attitude needs to be on this. I mean, I used to be, because people would always come to, to me. I'm in a, a, a rougher neighborhood here, and people want to come, and they, they say, hey, can we rent your church for our little church? And I said, no, no, you can't rent it. You can have it. You just come and use it. It's free. It's, you know, yeah. it's church. As long as we agree on the doctrine. And so let's sit down and talk about the teaching. Because if we agree on the doctrine, we're one church. We're, we're united together in the body of Christ. This, you know, you can't rent space, but we can be church together. So let's talk about it. And it used to be that they, we'd talk about, we'd talk about baptism or we'd talk about the Holy Trinity or we'd talk about whatever. And we would disagree on these sort of things. And, and they would be mad at me for being so stubborn about the different doctrines. Well, that, I got tired of being mad at it at, you know, be people being angry at me. Because what do, why should I be the one defensive about this? They're the ones that have stolen away the gifts that Jesus wants his Christians to have. I mean, they're the ones that, Jesus is the one who wants to give his Christians the gift of baptism, and they're standing there saying, no, no, you, you can't have that gift of baptism. Or, or the people who won't baptize the baby, Jesus is the one who says the, the gift of baptism is for your children, and they're standing in the way, no, 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 we're not going to give it to the children. Jesus is the one who says that he wants us to have his body and his blood for the forgiveness of sins, and they're saying, no, 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 we're not going to give the body and blood of Jesus. Jesus is the one who wants us to have that, and no, and when you stand in the way of the gifts of Jesus, and then you want to be mad at me? No, I'm sure the ones that should be, should be uh, indignant at you as a theological thief trying to steal away the comfort and the gifts and the joy and the confidence and the fullness of the Lord's doctrine that Jesus wants for his church. You're stealing that away, and then you're mad that I'm trying to stand in the way of it, that I'm standing up for that? I, It's just... In, so ridiculous. The last conversation I had with someone, well, I said, hey, uh, if, if one of my members comes to you to be baptized, are you going to say that they're not baptized? And he said, well, yeah, probably. And I said, that's just rude. I mean, how can you steal away their gift of baptism from them? We can't share a, a building with people who are going to be so rude. So that instead of being defensive about this, we should understand that we have the, these great treasures of theology and that everyone else is trying to peel them away, trying to steal them away from the Lord's people. Well, and and you, not only do they want to to disagree with you and be indignant, but they then want to use uh, your platform that and, you know the building itself to teach other people uh, to to further lead other people away from the truth. You know, I, I always tell people this. You know, on the last day, everybody will be accountable um, for what they've done in life. But but I, I firmly believe that. Those of us who have accepted the call to be pastors in this world, Lutheran or not, are held to a different standard because we've accepted the role of teaching God's people the truth of His Word. Our old theologian, Francis Pieper, and I'm going to bring this in for this last point, which has to do with that all doctrine holds together. So for the question, is a little false doctrine all right? We're answering no. And the fourth point is that, that uh, false teaching spreads and Francis Pieper, the old, our old dogmatician, has a great little section about that. He said, we should always bear in mind that like sin in the sphere of morality, so every error in the sphere of doctrine has the tendency to spread and to infect other doctrines with its virus. Unchecked, it will corrupt the entire body of doctrine. That's the meaning of Galatians 5, verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So false doctrine, it's a disease, it's a virus, it's like cancer. You can have cancer, and you won't die, 
But it's not good to have cancer, and we shouldn't abide by it. We shouldn't let anyone rejoice in the fact that they have cancer. We're running out of time, Pastor. A couple of thoughts on that before we wind up. Oh, no, just uh, just to quickly summarize, you know, again, going back to, like, you know, denial of some of these gifts that, that Christ has given us that he wants us to have, it, it, like you said, it's like cancer. It's, it's limiting your ability to fully enjoy the Christian life and its benefits. Yeah, that's right. The Lord has so much for us. So much life, so much joy, so much confidence, so much clarity. He wants us to have a good conscience. He wants us to, he wants us to live forever in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And he gives all of that to us in the doctrine. So that is it does it matter if we have a little false doctrine? Yes, yes, because it cuts off the joy and the confidence and the peace that the Lord wants to give to us. All right, we're going to wrap it up the question there. I think we've answered the question, does a little false doctrine matter? The answer is yes, it matters. We should avoid it at all costs. Pastor Micah Glenn, Executive Director of the of the Lutheran Hope Center, Ferguson, Missouri. Give us that website again if people want to go and jump in and help out. Yeah, that's right. It's the Lutheran Hope Center dot org all smashed together i know it's long but lutheran hope center dot org and i'm pastor brian wolfmuller taking the baton from pastor jonathan fisk we'll meet you next monday as we continue to answer the difficult questions of theology with the clarity of the lord's word and rejoicing the whole time in the kindness of jesus who gives this to us love to hear from you be wolfmuller uh on the twitter you can find me on facebook the website wolfmuller.co And I look forward to talking to you next week. God's peace be with you. You've been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.